Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Welcome back to Inside Sources. Filling in for Boyd today, this is Scott Simpson. I'm here with Leah Murray from Weber State University. You're also a co-host of KSL at Night. That's right. You I, used to be. I used to. I'm, I'm an alum. You're an alum. I think yeah. I was thrown out. I don't think that is exactly what that. happened. <laughs> yeah, I, some threat of losing FCC licensure. Here. Right? Yeah. You were the Howard Stern of KSL. Is that what you're saying, Scott? <laughs> no, no, no. No. I sh- I, yeah, I deserved that. I shouldn't have opened that can. Listen, we, election reform. Uh, there are a lot of issues around election reform. I came up in the political party space, spent a lot of time around election data, and and. I'm sort of sensitive to this because I, I do think that we we wrestle about what's right for an election, what processes are appropriate, right. um, and and I'm not sure that we shouldn't be able to think about what's better today right than now, 200 years ago. I think that's totally right. And one of our county clerks, Ricky Hatch, talks about everyone who loses is always sure – the rules weren't right. And I think to me, because I'm a huge sports fan, it's kind of like when your team loses, it's the refs, right? Like, oh, sure. Right? It was bad calls, or if you didn't yep. win in golf, it was the field, right? Like the, it was just a hard course to play. Um, but we've got Ryan Williamson, a governance fellow at the R Street Institute, here to chat with us about reform and how maybe we could do it better. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hi, yes. Thanks for having me. So the 118th Congress uh, it, it begins its work. We've got state legislatures beginning session here, uh, ours as well, here in Utah. I'm just wondering, what's next? What do you see building, both from a national perspective and then maybe you know, steaming up in jurisdictions around the country? Yeah, all, all over the country and even in the, the federal legislature as well. You know, Some legislators are going to think about changing election laws. Uh, we saw a lot of changes in the 2020 season as a result of the pandemic. And, you know, some states either, you know, further codifying those changes or walking those changes back in time for 2022. And I, I think that conversation is going to continue about how how should elections be conducted? What's the, the best way to uh, elect people and, and cast ballots and everything like that. And so there's, there's going to be a, a lot of topics on a variety of different issues about elections and election administration. All right. So what are the genuine issues, right, Ryan? Because I think you're with me that some of this feels political, right? I mean, even though you can't come up with evidence, right, that something bad has happened, people kind of want reform as a result of a feeling that something might have happened. But what are some of the genuine issues that we could and maybe should be debating when it comes to our elections? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And I I loved your sports analogy. You know, people hate to lose and they'll often look for any explanation that's not they backed the less popular candidates. But there there are important things that, you know, are are genuine thinking about access to the ballot, thinking about the ease with which everyone who is eligible can participate. Um, And also thinking about making sure everyone's casting a secure ballot, that the process is is you know rigorous and secure enough so that we can have you know faith in the integrity of our elections that you know everyone can cast a ballot and their ballot will be counted fairly 
Ryan, it seems like uh, the Electoral College is where a lot of people like to aim their weaponry as it relates to election reform. As a former... I was, <laughs> Ryan, Scott has feelings. <laughs> I, I was I was on scholarship at the Electoral College. <laughs> I could, I, I'm an elector. I was twice elected uh, to serve as an elector for Utah. I, I've kind of wrestled with that because yeah. it does create sort of insulation between actual votes cast uh, in a presidential election and ultimate outcomes. Uh, is, is there any chance of that changing? I don't think so. Um, you know, I think about, you know, 2000 and 2016, um, Democrats were really upset about their candidate um, winning the popular vote, but losing the electoral college. But we haven't really seen or heard any movement on, you know, reforms, you know, sincere movement on that um, since then. And ironically, in 2004, if a, a few votes in Ohio go differently, um, you know, Kerry could have won the electoral college vote um, while losing the popular vote to Bush. And so it's it's one of those things. It's kind of well institutionalized. Um, it's it's an easy target when things don't work out. Um, but but I don't think we're going to see any real change to it anytime soon. All right. So I think you helped Scott feel better because <laughs> as a former elector, he's a little, you know, um, but I'm wondering, you talked about elections being secure. And I agree with you, right? Like one of the things we should make sure is that when people vote, it's, you know, securely counted and it's part of the system. What possible reforms do you think would make that as oh, how do I say this as good as possible? That sounds right. You know what I mean? But what possible reforms around security should we be do- should we be doing? Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. I mean, one of, one of the main things um, that we can do, um, and, and Congress did, did some of this in December, you know, they, they, they opened up $75 million for security grants to offices, um, whether that's cybersecurity, um, whether that's physical security for the election workers who, you know, are, are regularly under you know, uh, harassment um, and attack, you know, some of them even receiving death threats. Like, we need these good public servants who are doing an administrative job, not a political job. We need their their experience and their expertise in conducting elections um, to, 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 to stick around. Um, and so we, we need to, you know, keep them safe. We need to um, provide for kind of new technology. You know, there are many jurisdictions around the country that are using equipment, um, you know, five, ten plus years past their prime. And so, you know, upgrades to hardware, software, everything like that. So just an investment in security, both physical and cyber um, and technological, I think could go a really long way. Ryan, um, we've 
had here in Utah preferential balloting on some municipal elections in the past. That's kind of an experiment. Uh, I think there are folks that would describe that as having gone really well and, and liked the efficiency of getting to a voter preference quickly. Uh, but but there are those that say, you know, obviously blaming the refs. They think that the rules uh, skew the outcomes of elections. Do you see that style, preferential balloting, gaining any steam elsewhere in the country? I, I think it's entirely possible. Um, the New York mayoral race um, implemented the, the preferential style ranking. Um, we saw the Alaska elections, you know, both um, the, the Senate race, the House race, as well as the state legislative races um, employed um, kind of a, a rank order system. And, you know, more, more and more places, I think, in um, your, your, your neighbors to the West in California, more and more local jurisdictions have also adopted some form of kind of rank choice voting. And so it's something that um, a lot of places have experimented with and more and more places seem to be interested in it. So I do see it, um, you know, not necessarily going away anytime soon. I've got one f- follow-up question in the minute or so that we have left. Um, ballot harvesting has has gotten a lot of negative attention uh, since the 2020 campaign. I, I was a former executive director of a state political party here in Utah. I called that campaigning, you know, <laughs> back then. And, you know, this idea of getting people out to vote and facilitating participation and getting as many people elected as you possibly can. Uh, is there any, and frankly, my observation of the pursuit of the banning of so-called ballot harvesting came back to hurt some Republicans, I think, in the midterm elections. Do you see that uh, issue waning or growing? I it, it's, it's hard to say, but I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, Republicans are going to have to have a, a real conversation about how they feel about some of the Um, accessible voting options. I think about uh, what happened in Nevada, where uh, a a lot of Republicans decided that they were going to vote in person on Election Day. They weren't going to take advantage of some of these alternative voting methods. And um, it it cost Republicans some offices because that huge storm came through. People ended up um, not not participating or not being not getting out um, in order to do so, and so they're, they're really the Republican Party needs to have a conversation within itself about how it wants to walk the line between security and and access. Ryan Williamson, governance fellow at the R Street Institute, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. All right, Scott. Coming up after the break, let's have a conversation about Ukraine and the war in Ukraine, and maybe how it ties to President Biden's reelection bid. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. 
That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.